The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I am your illustrious host, the one, the only, Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the... That's just Tammy. Nobody gives a shit. Oh, my gosh. You are so rude. I am still laughing my ass off over the Facebook post of, how did we meet? (laughs) Tell us. Tell a lie. Yes. Yes. You're horrible. Scott writes a... Scott writes a little biography over there while everybody else gives me one-liners. So here, here's what happened. Here's how we actually met. And I said, I, I refuse to lie. So <laughs> pay attention, boys and girls. So there I was. I was up on Mount Hood. because there, my business. There, no, there was a report from the North American Sasquatch Institute, the Bigfoot Institute that's in uh, Boring, Oregon. Or maybe, yeah, I think it's Boring. Yeah, it's that, the there was a, that, that a Bigfoot, that a Sasquatch had been spotted. So, dude, I raced up there. I got tranquilizer darts, a canteen full of water, some Jim Beam, and maybe some pot. And uh, I went up there, and sure enough, the Smithsonian Institute was up there. So, time is not on my side. I got to find her. Or him. I didn't know. I don't know. I still don't really know what Tammy is. But anyway. I can show you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Okay, then. Sure enough, there she was. She was hiding behind a tree. And I shot her four or five times with tranquilizer darts. So she's getting woozy in a chasing suit. But here comes a Smithsonian right hot on my tail. So I get her down. I pump a couple of more tranquilizer darts into him. And then a fight broke out between me and the Smithsonian Institute. So I'm fighting him off. And then luckily for me, this, Mr. Peabody. this guy by the last name of Peabody, his name is Winston R. Peabody, tripped and fell. And I picked him up, drooped him to his feet, held my knife to him. And I said, okay, look, this is how this is going to go down. This dude's staying with me because he need to back out of here. And then they, they were confused. They're like, we didn't expect one guy to pull out this big old can of whoop ass. And now he's going to kill freaking Winston. And he buys donuts every Friday. So we got to save him. So uh, I knocked out Winston, though, by jabbing him in the butt with one of my tranquilizer darts. And by this time here, old Sasquatch across from me, she's out. Tied him to a tree, dragged her down, shaved her down, taught her how to talk and use a computer. And she, that was three years ago. Are you happy with yourself now? That's how we met. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You, I, you know, you just, I just goes to show you're a good storyteller. And, you know. I'm you still know. trying to learn your native tongue. That's kind of hard. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't like gurgle the right way. <laughs> that's right. That's my that, that there's my Bigfoot collar. I'm glad it's by me now and not you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys and girls. So today we're going to be doing Haddon Clark. And I thought we had done him before, but we didn't. The only reason I thought that we had is because I actually wrote to Haddon and he just pretty well blew me off. He's like, yeah. nay, nay. And they didn't even get back to me. Didn't yeah. even tell me to fuck off. Well, and sometimes, you know, we've noticed that sometimes it takes a woman's touch. You know, because it happened with one of our killers here in Oregon. You try writing him, nothing. Then he sees my name, and there you have it. The rest is history. That is because (laughs) Dayton wants your feet. (laughs) He's thinking about putting his tongue between your toes. You know what's really funny is he's actually... 
actually, I mean, and this is, and I always find it amazing that we say this and people are like, how can you say this about him or about them? He's actually a nice guy. <laughs> well, he has to be nice to, in order to get to your goddamn feet. Well, no, he, I have to be dead for him to get to my, never mind. Yes. <laughs> and then he's going to molest your toes. Oh my God, him. you are, you are so yes. gross. You did that last <sighs> night and my toes just curled in on themselves. They were I didn't do now. nothing to her feet. I just made no, jokes. No, just like, made jokes about my again, feet. Don't, it was disgusting. Don't get people thinking that I'm doing anything weird oh, to you. Oh, our fans know better. No, you never know. They might. Oh my true. god! Is Scott and Tammy like doing the way? Like, is he boning Sasquatches? No, no, no. I say you know nay, nay. You know what's really funny is, is like some people because they hear us, and you know they hear our banter back and forth, and it's like, oh, you and Scott. I mean, because it happened at the a beer at a time with Matt's friend. Remember? Oh yeah. Oh, so you guys are a couple. I'm like. Uh, no. We say nay nay. <laughs> and me and Matt's daughter were like laughed and we're like, uh, no, that's not even close. <laughs> I said, no. I said, we just fight like we're married, but no, he's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> good times. Good times, good man. Good times. Good times. Oh, so, yeah. so let's, let's get into Haddon here because well, I vaguely remember his story. Well, and I'm kind of winging it. I've only like glanced through his story a couple of times, but he was known as a cross dressing cannibal. Oh, God damn it. I wish I would have gotten him. Yeah. No, you took another one of mine, so neener. Son of a bitch. Well, hey, on the list, on the list, my dude that I'm doing right now. I know, I didn't mark him. Was it marked? So but I marked okay. it with my shit. <laughs> you peed on his leg and then it was over. Huh? Did. Went right to the penitentiary and said, excuse me, kind sir. <laughs> You're mine now. Uh, too bad you didn't do that to Patrick Kearney. <laughs> with Patrick, I should have gone to Ione and freaking gone to Mule Creek and licked him. Go, see, I licked it. It's mine. <laughs> I love that shirt. <laughs> I want that shirt so bad. Because, you know, I guess you do that to my brother with his cookies. <laughs> did I tell the story last week about Cheryl sneaking up on me? I think you did. Yes. Dude, she like, I don't know, man. She scared the freaking pee out of me yesterday, too, because I went to go get, because I did your grocery shopping yesterday. All of a sudden, I'm at the truck and I go, hi, how you doing? I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> she saw me. <laughs> but I just hurried up and got in the truck and left. I totally can relate to anybody who has, like, uh, like the soldiers that come back with PTSD. Because seriously, even when I'm outside, if I hear anything, I, I stop and I freeze and I get lower. What, 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 what was that? What was that? I'm looking around. Okay, it's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh well, shit! And then we have a, uh, one of our biggest fans is Cheryl. Shout out Cheryl in Illinois. But yeah, that, not the Cheryl that rubbed my butt no, and said I no, like you too. But I told him I said we got to come up with a different name for you so he doesn't get confused. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're gonna say Cheryl's behind you. I'm gonna shit my pants. <laughs> um. Okay. So this story starts out with a lost, a little girl lost. Okay, um, it, I mean you and I. I mean, especially lately here, we've been having record high heat, so you feel like you're going to melt, right? So on the afternoon of May, I 30th, feel like I'm in heat. Does that count? That's all the time. I humped uh, four people's legs and uh, and a priest, and he said, "That's dude, not how this works." I said, dude, oh, yes, it I is. know. Well, our our South African fan. I mean, I I, I still don't want to butcher her name, but our South Stephanie, African. That's her name. <laughs> I renamed her. Posted something in our group about you know your new neighbor spoke to you, our new neighbor spoke to me. So I put on an ankle bracelet, went out there with my shirt on inside out, and started arguing with a pine tree. I said she doesn't listen to our show very much. If she 
argued with the tree with her shirt on. Yeah, but that 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 <laughs> the, the the shirt off only applies in Florida. That's true. And, that's true. And Jen Doll, you know that as fact, <laughs> fucker. Well, argued with that a friend shit. in prison in Florida that we talked to. I was talking to him yesterday, yeah, a couple days ago. And he was saying how when they learn you're from Jacksonville in prison, everybody like takes you remember those like like those fighting scenes or whatever when Bruce Lee's getting ready to fight and everybody backs up a step. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, he goes it's like that. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're from Jacksonville. There is nothing I can do to scare That's you. Right. They all like take a step back and was like, Oh shit, we don't fuck with Jacksonville. No kidding. I, I, I could throw punches, but you're kicking the shit out of palm trees and Freaking wrestling iguanas or gators. Why not? It's weird shit. That's this whole different. Yeah. Like, Florida's weird, but. Yeah, giving Jackson- a gator some beer. Yeah. <laughs> and Jacksonville's a whole. Like, Florida itself is weird, but Jacksonville's a whole different yeah, level. It is. A bizarre. Yeah. And that's exactly what he said, too. He goes, you know, all of Florida is pretty bizarre, but. Jacksonville, it's a it's a place all in its own. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you, you know, I, I figured something. I figured, I actually figured out a couple of things, okay? Mm. Number one. Recently, they uh, the government actually admitted, yes, yeah, space aliens have been here and da-da-da-da. Right, okay? right, right. That's number one. I don't think they came back because one of them visited Jacksonville, and they said, <laughs> no, 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 we're good. No, we're, 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 we're good to go. There's no intelligent life here. <laughs> we are out of here. Why Zork? This is a great place. Watch that guy over there. Is he running out of a store? Meat's falling out of his pants? <laughs> I know. What? Trying to inject Botox while drinking Four Loco? What is the that hell? Is that bandana, a bandana wearing iguana? He that just was kicked, actually in Orlando, but yeah. He kicked the shit out of a guy. Oh, look at him. He's fighting a palm tree. That cop just stopped. Okay, the police are involved now. Sir, sir, take your shirt off. It's illegal to fight that palm tree. Sorry, officer. Oh, he just took it. Now he's fighting the tree again. Yeah. No intelligent life whatsoever. Yeah, that, that's why. And I want to point out. That there was a TikToker, I think his name is Goose or something like oh that. Oh my God, yes, you sent me the video this morning. Eating penguins. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> I'm not alone in my plight. He says, when the aliens on... return, they're going to say, why didn't you eat the penguins? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh Nobody said that God. you can't. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I want pulled pineapple penguin <laughs> on the barbecue. That's what I want. Mm, taste it. <laughs> Just like, I was dying. This that's the first thing I saw when I woke up this morning. I was laughing so hard. But anyway, so this is you know <laughs> the the heat wave. I was talking about the heat wave. So on the afternoon of May thirty first, nineteen eighty six, um, the people were welcoming the summer heat. However, Hayden Clark, thirty five years old, stood outside of his brother Jeffrey's uh, empty house, and he was sweating. He was kind of thin and wiry about six foot two and he as he leaned against his Datsun remember those pickup trucks Datsun pickups were fucking awesome I know he felt sorry for himself and he was getting angrier and angrier as the temperatures kept rising who doesn't get angry in the heat however the house itself was so quiet everybody who lived there was gone they were out having fun and Jeffrey Clark the only brother Hayden had who wasn't in prison, had left him. Things were not going well for Hayden. He had been asked to vacate the room he had rented at his brother's house because, well, I mean, kind of justifiably, he was caught masturbating in front of Jeff's children. And though they were in front of his nieces and nephews, 
And then a couple months before that, he was arrested for shoplifting women's underwear from a department store. Well, hey, look. He didn't steal the brawn panties to give to his family. He stole them so he can wear them himself. It can be embarrassing to buy those. I can, I, I, you know. I feel your pain, Hayden. I feel your pain. You buy them for yourself, too? Sometimes I want to feel pretty. I'm telling you, purple tube, too. And a tube top. That's all I want to see. If I wear that, then I am jumping out of my bedroom singing Purple Rain. Okay, I'll let Just you. Just saying. <laughs> and apparently his mother had caught him wearing ladies' clothing one time. And she you know, she said something, and he goes, I like my ladies' clothing. Don't try and change me. What year was this? 80, this is in 86. See, that's a ballsy so, move back then, man. That's ballsy. Yeah, so you know, if it happened in 86 and he was 35 years old, you know, he was born in the early 50s. So it was pretty ballsy. Then less than a year before he'd bound, he'd actually been booted from the Navy. His discharge said it was for medical reasons because the doctors, Navy doctors, had diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic. Because he wanted to give other guys a big dose of penicillin, <laughs> right? Maybe that's medical. Maybe so. Or but, maybe he was like, "Excuse me, there, um, Rear Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, <Can> you, man, <laughs> can, can you give me a big shot of your penicillin?" I need to try Cox again. You're so bad. Big dose. You know, you know, and just because he's a crossdresser doesn't mean he's gay, though, Scott. I know. I used to have a crossdresser that was a drummer years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah, he, that's uh, true, huh? He never crossdressed on stage or anything like that, but uh, yeah, yeah but that was his whole deal. And But I still think that he was slightly gay, but I digress. But I, to, even if they are, it's like, seriously, I don't give a rat's ass if somebody's gay, straight, bi, Pan, fucking space alien. Don't don't fuck with animals. Don't fuck with kids. Don't rape anybody. Do your thing. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's crazy. So then, prox- Yeah. Okay. So and then, so they prescribed him medication, right? However, he didn't care enough to take them. Then a week before this day, his um, six-year-old niece Eliza actually stood in front of him and called him. And I hate this word, but she said. You retard, right? And I I'm just quoting. fucking love that. Well, not when you're dissing somebody, though. No, uh, our, our friend Jax uses that, too, just like I do. Like it, it's, Yes. It, it, there seems to be two words that, that me, Jax, and her husband, Adam, use all the time. Retard and fuck. Yeah. You know what? That F word comes out of, yeah, yours and her mouth a lot. I'm telling you, man. I think that. Dude, I, she's, I like, she's awesome, though. For secretly kinfolk. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. I told her, I said, where have you been my entire life? <laughs> so, you know, so she made, she was making fun of him, though. And, of course, you know, in his mind, he wanted to kill her. And according to him, it wouldn't have been the first time he murdered someone who had dissed him. Um, so he stood there, and he was just seething. And um, he he wanted to go. He was trying to go into his brother's house and in Maryland, and he to pick up the last box of his belongings. And as he began to walk towards the house, this little girl walked up to him. Um, he couldn't really remember her name. He thought it was either Kelly, Shelly, or Michelle, but pretty sure it was Michelle. She had bangs and freckles over the bridge of her nose, um, but she was also Eliza's friend. The daughter, uh, She was the daughter of a divorced man down the street who had custody of her on the weekends. And she was wearing a pink ruffled swimsuit that was still wet from playing in the backyard pool. So that was when Hayden knew how to get back at his niece for calling him uh, names. Nobody who crossed him 
would got away with stuff like that at all. Um, so Hayden told uh, um, Mich- Michelle, hey, she's in the house. She's upstairs in her room playing with the dolls. You can go inside. So he watched her go in the house and heard her going up the steps. When she got out, when she got out of sight, he walked around to the back of his truck and pulled a toolbox towards him. He made his living as a chef, and inside the metal box were tools of his trade. He kept his knives, um, his chef's knives in there. There were deboning knives, carving knives. <laughs> I just flashed to Catherine Knight. Carving knives and fish flaying knives with serrated blades. He also had meat cleavers and, you know, other knives, too. Each one had been sharpened to, like, razor's edge. He selected a 12-inch long chef's knife and then strolled into the house and went upstairs. Now, life hadn't been good for Carl Dorr, who's Michelle's father. He, although he had two college degrees, one in economics, the other in psychology, he hadn't done much for himself by the mid-80s. He settled into a series of jobs that, you know, basically were layman's jobs. He painted cars on commission. And his personal life was even worse. He had married Michelle's mother, Dorothy. Can you imagine me called Dorothy Dor? <laughs> I like that. Dude, that just dawned on me. That's another porn name. I know. Dorothy Dor in Anal Avengers 5. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, he married her in 1978. And then when their daughter, when Michelle was born, the marriage fell apart. But it also evolved into like a brutal battle. There were times when he would slap Dorothy around in front of Michelle. And that, of course, took an emotional toll on the little girl. It made her stutter and she would grind her teeth at night. Look here. If she would have not burnt dinner and she acted right, she wouldn't have been getting smacked. Okay? You know what? I'm going to hit you. That's how you got to train them, boys. That's how you got to train them. Well, and Dorothy later told Washington Post. Hold on. I'm just kidding. Don't fucking send me hate me over that shit. That's why I'm blowing over this one. He's not violent towards women at all. Well, because we might get a new listener and he (laughs) and they're like, oh my God, he says that spousal abuse is good. I'm going to hate on Don't hate on me. It's no. just a fucking joke. Jesus he, Christ. He hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> Except with the tranquilizer darts. That's right. That's right. You have so, the scars to prove it. But I can understand that kind of stress because I, even to this day, sometimes grind. My, I actually grip my teeth when I'm stressed out. You know? I ground. I used to grind them when I was little. That's why all my teeth were like really short and small. But whatever. Also, I want to point out that when Sasquatches do get stressed out, they start uh, losing patches of hair. That's part of the, the genetics of the Sasquatch or the El Sasquacho in Spanish. Thank you. Thank you for that scientific update there. <laughs> You're welcome. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah. G.I. Joe! <laughs> if you don't know that reference, you're way too young. So then, um, I guess once on a Valentine's Day, in, on Valentine's Day in 1976, Carl had shown up at Dorothy's house and refused... Oh. I'm sorry, not Dorothy's house, uh, his former strange wife's house, and refused to leave. He had told her that their divorce was hearing. uh, At his divorce hearing, he would lie under oath and say that she had cheated on him, tell everybody she was an unfit mother, and if he lost, he would kidnap Michelle. Oh, I guess it was Dorothy. At the bus stop. I was confused for a minute. Sorry, guys. I'm winging this one. I didn't have it all typed out. Then, according to Dorothy, he threw her against the wall and beat her, which caused her to have multiple cuts and bruises. Um, 
basically the relationship had evolved into one that would require Michelle to have to see a psychiatrist in her later years. Actually, the right terminology, not fucking with you, is devolved. Because oh, you're right. No relation. You're right. No relationship starts off like seriously. Every woman who's ever been abused, ever, no guy has ever started a relationship. And go, okay, what's your name? Your name is uh, is Liz. All right, Liz. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to be nice to you right now for the next three or four months. Once I lure you, and then I'm going to just beat the shit out of you all the time, so right. I can maintain control. I'm going to keep you away from right. your family and friends. It never does. It never. It starts right. slow. It's it's a it's a progression. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it was like, um, oh, where was I? Well, I want to throw in a quick PSA. If you are in a abusive relationship, whether you're male or female, because more women report it than guys do, but That's guys still true. get the shit knocked That's out of them by true. some fucking women. Um, please get out of it. Find help. Call. Yes. There, there's a ton of resources out there. Um, get help. Please. Right. Or uh, email us and we can help you get help. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm more than happy. Like, seriously, I won't fuck with you or anything like no. that. I will either squatch or I will, will try our hardest to help you out because there's no reason to be in. And, 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 seriously, no matter how many times no. they, I'm sorry, I'll change and I love you, they, they, they won't. Don't. They don't. It takes years of therapy. Years. Yeah. Years. So just, just saying. If they, if they even want to change. Yeah. So that's my little so. PSA, man. Yeah. So anyways, despite the fact that their relationship was so violent, each each parent loved their daughter. Now, Carl always looked forward to the weekends he got to spend with her. Um, that, to, um, that weekend, he actually picked up Michelle from Dorothy's house. They went to McDonald's, had some dinner. Then they went to 7-Eleven. He bought her a little toy. Then I'm pretty sure he went to Blockbuster, rented her a movie. And then on that hot day, he actually filled her little plastic swimming pool. And he promised to take her to the big neighborhood pool later that afternoon. She showed off for him for a few minutes, splashing around. And then he went inside to watch the Indianapolis 500. Now, his rented house was about two doors down from Jeffrey's house. And while he watched um, the races, he forgot to check on his little girl. She soon got bored playing by herself. So she wandered down to her friend's house. A few minutes later... As Carl was tiptoeing up the stairs of the empty house after her, knife in his hand, um, he actually, um, hang on, knife in his hand, he followed her into Eliza's room. He threw her to the floor and was on top of her so fast, she didn't even get a chance to scream. Um, First, he hit her with a backhand, like a backhand slash with the knife from left to right across her chest. Then he, t- he went the other way, almost as if he was making the Z from the Zorro sign. Now, she fell back in shock as he was straddling her. And he, as he straddled her, he put his hand over her mouth. And she actually surprised him by biting his hand. And he got so angry that he just plunged the knife into her throat. Still, good girl, man, because no if shit, you're going to you die know, anyway, like seriously. Get as much as your DNA on them and their DNA on you. Yep, get some evidence. That's that way right, they, they'll get girl. that motherfucker. That's good what I good told job, good a job. A friend of ours, she goes, she goes, people tell me to be careful out here. I said, man, if anything happens, get all your DNA on them and take all their DNA off them. You know? Now, he didn't know what to do because the blood was just spurting everywhere. Should he clean it up? Should he cover up what he had tried to do? Should he have sex with this dead girl? He, tr- he had tried sex, the sex first, 
but he couldn't do it. He couldn't make it work, obviously. And I'm not going to get into graphic details, but we all know what it means when a man can't make it work. Yep. <laughs> now, then he raced downstairs and got some plastic bags, and he ran out to his truck and got some rags and some and his old duffel bag. Then he was back upstairs. He shoved little Michelle into his a plastic bag and then put her inside the duffel bag. Then he started mopping up as if he were like cleaning the deck of an aircraft carrier, right? Everything that had blood on it was stuffed into trash bags. He, his cleanup looked pretty good to his eyes. Nothing seemed out of place. Um, he thought nobody would know what had just happened. He threw the body and the bags into the back of his truck, and he, and he had to be at his chef's job in, in nearby Chevy Chase, Maryland, in about 20 minutes. And if he, went, if he was late, somebody would notice. Now, Carl looked in... Uh, a little while later, Carl looked in his backyard to see if he could, you know, see Michelle, and he noticed she wasn't there. He did notice the the pool was still, and it wasn't rippling, so he knew that she hadn't been there for a little while. Um, but he also thought his street was safe. So it was, even though it was three miles from the Washington, D.C. border, nothing really happened in their little neighborhood. He had no doubt that she went down to play with Eliza. So he started. He stayed relaxed, paying a few bills. When he finished watching the race, Michelle, and he noticed Michelle still didn't return. So about five thirty, he went over to the Clark house. As it was about that time that Jeffrey had been re- was returning home, and he was in the backyard barbecuing. His children, Jeffrey's children, were there as well as his new girlfriend, and Eliza was there. But he they couldn't find Michelle. So Jeff said he hadn't seen Michelle all day. Eliza said I haven't seen her all day. So Carl was confused. He walked to the end of the street, saw nothing. Then he started knocking on doors. Nobody knew anything. Nobody had seen Michelle. He started driving around the neighborhood. And then he started pointing his car. I mean, then he started going to the police and he reported her missing. The moment he did, he became their prime suspect. Uh, yeah, because the you know, family members always the oh always and always that's the first people you turn to, and then you rule out right the family. Then you like spread outwards. Yeah, <laughs> I knew her. Oh my god, chick, she, she so, spread way outwards. As <laughs> shut up. As Hayden was finishing his shift at the country club, he began driving again, and the body of the six-year-old girl was still in the back of the um his pickup, covered by a metal cap, and he stopped. First at a naval hospital to get the cut on his hand dressed. And then with free medical privilege was part of his benefits um, when he discharged of the Navy. So he was like, that's the only place I can go and not have to pay for it. And that was around midnight. Then he drove towards Baltimore. And when he saw some wooded, a wooded area, he pulled over and stopped. And he had a ready-made story. He said if the cops came by, he would tell them that he had to pee and couldn't wait. Oh, wait. Arthur shall cross anybody? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but I can relate to that. Like, seriously, sometimes you right. got to fucking take a leak. And, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going to jump out right here, get to the other side of my vehicle, take a little whiz quiz, and get back in and boogie on, man, before the fuzz gets before here. Before the fuzz gets here. So then he, you know, so he grabbed the duffel bag, a flashlight, and a shovel, and then he went down into, stumbled down into a ravine in the woods, and at, he found a tree at the base of a big tree, he dug a small grave. And he fought the tree with his shirt off. <laughs> maybe. Maybe oh, so. Just ask him. Now, he friend. took the little girl from the duffel bag and began to put her in there. But there, were, there was one more thing he had to do. He had to taste her. So, mind you, she'd been dead all day. In the heat. Ew. I'm just saying. 
And you know, blowflies arrive immediately upon somebody's death. Yeah, I'm pretty just fucking saying, close, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I don't study entomology, but I've read enough on it that it's like almost immediately. Yeah, it's pretty fucking close. Yeah. To him, the flesh was his prize. His, her death was his revenge. So after he tasted her, he buried her, covered her body with parts of an old mattress he had seen and some leaves. He climbed back up, got in his truck, and drove away to his newly rented house, uh, room, from which was only five miles from his brother's house. Now, in the police force, every rookie cop is a, w- told when a child disappears, he is fir- look, to look first in the direction of the parents or their caregiver. And statistics bear this out because... 90% of the time, it's their parents or their caregiver who actually knows what happened to the child, right? Correct. So according to Detective Mike Garvey, he said it's page one in the handbook. The, the first cop to speak with Carl Doerr, you know, well, Garvey was the first cop to speak to Carl Doerr. And the more they looked at Carl, the more he looked like their man. After all, he threatened his wife. He said he would abduct the daughter just three months before that. Hadn't he and Dorothy been fighting over the kid for years? Wasn't he the last one to see her alive? They went straight for him. They asked him to take a polygraph test the next day. And, oh, thank you. So when the polygraph examiner, local fire marshal, told them that Carl might know more about Michelle's whereabouts than he was telling them, the cops thought they had their man. At that point, it was good cop, bad cop. They were right in his face. They told him that he had failed the polygraph test and then it had been 24 hours and they knew she was dead. They even got in his face and said, we're going to find her. When we do, we're coming to get you. Dorothy told the cops she thought he had done it. She gave them an extra motive. According to her, Carl was trying to get out of paying her $4 a month for child support. He was caught inside a nightmare. When he told the police that he loved his daughter, they simply didn't believe him. Then he took another lie detector test, and this time he passed with flying colors. In an attempt to prove that he wasn't guilty, he even, he even uh, submitted to hypnosis and took sodium pentothal, which is a so-called truth serum. However, nothing he did could convince the cops that he wasn't responsible for his daughter's disappearance. So, but then again, he may have been his worst en- own worst enemy. He started, um, he, he had a mental break. And in his psychotic episode, he actually told a psychiatrist that he abducted and killed his daughter. At that point, he had started hallucinating. He couldn't take the pressure. And he, he, like I said, he just had a mental breakdown. In that altered state of mind, he began to believe that the people on the television were talking to him. He looked behind the set, and when he didn't see anything, he thought the police were actually altering his perception, his reception on this TV. The next day, Carl got into his car and drove to his father's grave. Um, where was I? Right. And he began to talk to his father's headstone, which some of us have done. I mean, I talk to my dad quite frequently, even though he doesn't have a headstone. There are times when I do talk to my father. He thought the headstone was actually speaking back, though. His mind was so far gone that he began to believe he was God's only son. He said, I believe that I could 
that if I could find Michelle, I could bring her back to life. And if I was able to do that, then I must be Jesus. So he began calling himself the White Messiah. Now, the cops all took this as a form of his confession. They took him in for questioning again and again. It wasn't long before he was committed to a hospital for a 72-hour psychiatric hold. But as soon as he got out, he was hauled in for questioning again. Um, the fact is, is Carl did have something to hide. He felt ashamed that he had neglected his daughter that afternoon. He fudged the timeline. He didn't tell them the true timeline. The last time he had actually seen Michelle was about noon that day. But he told the cops it was about 2 p.m. The time discrepancy was about to give Hayden a perfect alibi. Now, Detective Wayne Farrell later said uh, that he was cruising Sudbury Road on the day after Michelle vanished. And he was grasping for any straw he could find when he came upon Hayden in the driveway of his brother's house, tinkering with his truck's engine. And they asked the guy, where were you yesterday? Uh, no, were you here yesterday? I'm sorry. And he said, for about two or three minutes. Then he told, then the detective told Mike Garvey about his encounter with Hayden. And he said that he had checked around and that Hayden Clark seemed to be in the neighborhood, was referred to as the neighborhood weirdo. We all have one. I mean, Scott has one two doors down. What can I say? Now, Garvey actually told Farrell to bring Hayden in for questioning. So Farrell called Jeff Clark, and Jeff called Hayden and told him to be at the police precinct the next day. And he was on time, but Garvey let him cool, you know, sit in the waiting room for about 10 minutes before he went to question him. Now, it appeared at that time that Hayden had an airtight alibi. He said he had punched his time clock at the country club where he worked at 2.46 that afternoon. Garvey and Farrell did some figuring. If Carl said he had seen his daughter around 2.10, then Hayden couldn't have found, abducted, or killed anyone and then hit a body within 36 minutes. It was impossible. Still, they weren't able to let him walk out without him being questioned further. And, of course, they started out with softball questions. They asked him about his, the rabbits he had raised behind his brother's house. They asked him uh, what, his life like, what his life was like before he moved in with his brother. Then they started, like, amping up the questioning. They asked him about the children in the neighborhood, and Hayden began to open up. He complained that one of the little boys had once kicked him in the nuts while he played with a group. He also said that once... He once playfully pinned a little girl to the ground and Garvey jumped on the admission. Is that what you did with Michelle? He pulled out a photo of the girl and when he did, Hayden began rocking back and forth. Tears pulled up in his eyes and he couldn't look at the picture. Is that what you did with Michelle? Garvey asked him again. Hayden mumbled an answer and then did something the cops went, weren't prepared for. He goes, I feel sick. Do you have a bathroom? Then he went to the police station bathroom and began vomiting profusely. But the cops stayed with him. Garvey began shouting into the stall, What did you do? The parents need to know. Tell me what happened. They need to bury their child. Was it an accident? Let's talk about it. Then as Hayden was retching profusely, he... he <clears throat> oh, the... the they took his answer as he was rushing profusely. Then they kept saying, what did you do? Um, so at that point, Hayden made what is later considered 
a partial confession. He said, I don't know. I may have done something. Sometimes I black out and do things I don't remember. Right? So the cops felt, hey, we're close to getting our suspect. But he seemed to get, you know, but Hayden, you know, after he vomited, he was like, you know, got a breath in. And he said he worked the day and mentioned the 246 punching again. So Garvey checked his notes again. Clark was crazy. Yes. But you can't kill or kidnap someone, then dump or hide a body, and then get to work, which is nearly 10 miles away in that time frame. Yeah, you can. You just got to plan it right. <laughs> right? Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. Not like we would know. So he given his. So basically, with Carl's false timeline, he gave his daughter the perfect alibi while at the same time keeping the suspicion Hayden. off himself. No, Carl. Said that he didn't last saw his daughter at two ten as opposed to noon. But you said he gave his daughter the perfect alibi. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Gave his daughter's killer. I apologize. I left out killer there. It's written, but I forgot it. Anyway, so Hayden walked away to kill again. As for Michelle, it would be 14 more years before they found out how she died and who killed her. Now, most serial killers come the, from you know. The dregs of society is what we always say. They grow up in poverty they, and have very few opportunities. Their parents or care or whoever's taking care of them abuse them. And although Hayden was abused, he also had many advantages. That was the result of being the offspring of a distinguished family. You see, his mother, Flavia, was able to trace her ancestry back to the May arrival of the Mayflower and had direct descendants who were heroes in the Revolutionary War. His grandfather on his father's side served as an elected Republican mayor of White Plains, New York, and his father, also named Hayden, would help invent clear clinging plastic wrap and fire retardant carpeting. We can thank him for saran wrap, I guess, right? Oh, yes. And by the way, Scram Wrap will help keep uh, your, your murdered bodies uh, pretty fresh, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking. Have you ever had a woman greet you at the door wrapped in Saran Wrap? Thank God, no, because I'd be like, what the I've seen that on some sitcoms, and I'm thinking, why would you do that? Because you get all sweaty underneath. It's gross. Yeah, then all of a sudden you smell like an open can yeah. of tuna that's been in the One sun for an hour. One of my cousins wrestled, and he used to wrap his midsection in Saran Wrap like days before wrestling meet so he can make weight. Isn't that weird? <laughs> now, the Clark family was very well off, and they were well thought of by their neighbors. However, despite that, they had a deep, dark secret. Both of the parents were raging alcoholics whose drinking often le led to battles that were physical and fought in front of their children. Now, Hayden was born in April of 1951, and he was the second child. His oldest brother Bradfield had been was born the year before, and Jeffrey was the younger brother born in 1955. The last child was Allison. She was born in 1959. She actually ran away from home when she was a teenager and broke ties with her parents, telling an investigator, I never had a family. So you can imagine what their home life was like, right? Just lovely. lovely. Just a little bit. So Clark the Clark family, you know, bounced around from Connecticut to New Jersey as Hayden was growing up, and they rarely stayed in any place for more than a year. 
See, Hayden's father had an MBA and a PhD in chemistry, but he never seemed satisfied with his employers, so he was always searching for more money and better employment. Bradfield was also a handful from the start, and he, as a teenager, got involved in the drug scene. You know Bradford's a hella white name, Brad right? Bradfield. Bradfield, yeah, that's a hella white name. That is a hella white like, name. Like, you don't see any... Uh, no. You don't see any freaking essays or freaking no. brothers. My name is Bradfield. You know, no, Bradfield never. is so white, he's transparent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's, that is a very that's white That's hell's name. white, man. Well, I think Hayden's a very... You know, Hayden or Haddon Clark, H-A-D-D-E-N, yeah. is a very white name, too. That is. That goes around along with, like, Skyler. Yeah. You kind of think that that's, like, a family name, you know? Gay as hell, man. Like, no pun intended. Like, Heinrich and Petrus are family names, and my and P- P- Peter, P- P- I can't even Peter. pronounce it. Yeah, it's something. It's in Dutch. Whatever. That is right. Matter of fact, I knew a lot of Heinrichs. Did you know? You yeah, probably knew Schmitz. my grandfather, huh? Mm, yes, we did. <laughs> we all uh, would sit around with Adolf all the times and drink My the great, wines. My great, great, great grandfathers, yeah. That is right. You're horrible. Come here, little Jews. Get in the showers. <laughs> Heinrich, lock him up. <laughs> Heinrich, please escort this uh, Jew to the shower so that they can get clean. Continue on, Ms. Dunning. You're wi- weird. However, even though Bradfield was, you know, addicted as a teenager, he also went on to get two degrees, and he was highly thought of in the in the world of computers. The Clark genes would be his downfall, though. In 1984, during a night of drinking and drug binging, he murdered his date, 25-year-old Patricia Mack. Do you have to pay for the date after you murder him? Or do you I, get you a know, refund? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, according to Keith, you know, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so after banging, I mean, he actually banged her head against a brick cinder block. Oh, I and thought then that strangled was somewhere her. totally different. We said, I know after you banging did. Him, oh, dude, no, do tell. Do no. tell. He banged her head against a cinder block and strangled her to death. Then he cut up her body into 11 pieces in his bathtub cooked part of her breasts on his barbecue, barbecue, ate them, and then stuffed the remaining body parts in plastic bags. Just like Hayden, he intended to bury the body, but grew remorseful. Then he attempted suicide and called the police. He received 15 to life and is still was still serving time at Pleasant Valley State Prison in California when his brother committed his crime. Who ordered the 11-piece meal? Who ordered the 11-piece meal? Do you want biscuits? <laughs> You want some biscuits and gravy with mac and cheese, please? <laughs> okay, here you go. You have a nice day now. Welcome to KFC. Red beans and rice. Popeyes. Oh, yeah, Popeyes, yeah. <laughs> so Jeff, the youngest brother, also had problems of his. After he earned a degree in microbiology from Ohio State, he married his childhood sweetheart, and they made their way to Maryland, where um, a position at the Food and Drug Administration was waiting for him. They settled into a quiet house in the neighborhood, and they had three children before their marriage turned ugly, and they divorced each other. Now, Marcia, his wife, accused Jeff of abusing her twice, and he was convicted of one of the charges, earning a suspended sentence. Then the three other Clark children also had difficulties in their lives. No, if the three... Other Clark children had difficulties in their lives with Bradfield eventually committing the ultimate offense. They paled alongside what Hayden would do. He seemed to have been born 
evil. He liked to hurt people. You know, I really wish I would have known about Hayden when I did Family of Killers. Because this is That's a, true. It's very relevant to that episode. Yeah, it, it is. It sounds like a whole family of fuck-ups. Exactly. Exactly. Um, he Children often ran the other direction when he showed up when they were growing up. And those who dared to cross him found their dog or cat dead on their doorstep with their head missing. Okay, here's the thing, okay? I don't condone killing kids. However, you'd never touch somebody's dog or cat. The fuck is wrong with people? I know, right? I'm sorry. I like animals more than I like people. It's just That's just me. Well, I mean, and the sad part is, I mean, we bring it up as a joke all the time. You know, our goldfish assassin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he never hurt animals. That was just an honest kid mistake. You know? Well, it's kind of upsetting because I hear it on every documentary oh, I, about every Todd. Every single one of them. You know, it was a kid's mistake, man. And I've, I've actually talked to some other serial killers about this. Um, including Keith Jesperson. Right. Because uh, it came up in conversation of how the media twists everything. And Keith e- e- even sat there and went, really? No, you're right. You can kill a goldfish by mistake. Like, you can walk into a room, close the door too hard, and give the freaking goldfish a heart attack. Yeah. They say not to tap on the glass of a fish tank at the pet store because it can kill a goldfish. Yeah. So, there you have it. But, yeah, they, every single time, the only thing they yeah. can come up with is, and he murdered a goldfish. I know, exactly. Give me a well, the break. sign was there. He killed his goldfish. You know, no, dude, no, it wasn't there. So, um, once when Jeff and Hayden were just learning how to ride their bikes without, you know, how kids, after they learn how to ride their bikes and they get comfortable, they start going, look, mom, no hands. He grabbed, Hayden grabbed the handlebars of Jeff's bike and deliberately, no, he grabbed the handlebars of his bike and deliberately rammed into his brother. Now, Jeffrey hit the sidewalk head first and began bleeding, and Hayden hurried home to tell his mom. And he said, there's been an accident, but don't worry, the bike's okay. (laughs) He didn't tell his mother that his brother was hurt. No, no, as long as the bike's okay. Yeah. Jeff also said later, he, go, he goes, my brother's sense of reality was always just a little askew. But I guess that's a polite way to put it, right? <laughs> so Flavia, Flavia at first blamed her son's strange behavior on, because when he was born, they had to use forceps at delivery. So then she, then she thought he had cerebral palsy and took him to an expensive clinic. His father, of course, said no. After a few drinks, he began to refer to his son as, quote, the retard. Since Hayden was a second child and the couple had wanted a girl, his mother often dressed him in frilly girl clothing. So a taste for female clothing was implanted in his mind. And he became he also and when he was wearing women's clothing, clothing, he went by the name Kristen. And his mother actually addressed him by that name when she would get drunk. So Hayden did not test as a mentally deficient. In fact, he could appear to be a genius when it came to chess, a game that required thinking and concentration. But on the other hand, emotionally, he was a child. He lashed out physically when he was publicly criticized. And the only place he felt any degree of normalcy was when he stayed at his grand- when he went to visit his grandparents at their retirement estate. After his grandfather retired as mayor of White Plains, he purchased a dream house at the edge of town called Wellfleet on Cape Cod, and nobody there called Hayden a retard. There, it had be- and it had become as close to heaven 
as Hayden Clark thought he could find. He said the days he's, he's, oh no, excuse me, Jeff said the days we spent there were the most wonderful time of Hayden's life. They were for all of us. Flavia Clark wanted her son to have a, be a tradesman, so she enrolled him at the prestigious Culinary Institute of America, which is a two-year school for chefs in Hyde Park, New York. There, he actually surprised everybody by demonstrating a talent for carving ice sculptures and figures from tallow. His chef's education was not without its incidents, though. He retaliated against slights by urinating into vats of mashed potatoes, yet he still passed enough courses to graduate from the academy in, 19, in January of 1974. And in a rare display of solidarity, the entire family arrived, came to his graduation ceremony. We got 10 minutes. Okay, I'm almost done with this section. All right. So the degree from the top chef school enabled him to pick and choose who he worked for <laughs> at first, but he was never able to keep a job for more than a couple months. His strange behavior, like opening and chugging beef's blood at, in the restaurant, in the kitchen, did not really like show him in a good light to his employees, to other employees and his employers. So, um, he first worked in Provincetown on Cape Cod, where years later he confessed to killing several women in the sand dunes. On one such occasion, he claimed to have murdered a young woman, burying her nude body under a sand dune after he removed her hands at the wrist. He told police he used her fingers as experimental bait for surf fishing, a hobby he had become proficient at. So after he became shunned by restaurant owners in the beach towns of Massachusetts, he did a one-year stint on a cruise ship called the SS Norway. After that, there were jobs in Long Island and a three-week assignment um, at the 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. All in all, Hayden Clark would hold 14 jobs from 1974 to 1982. During that time, his family disintegrated even more. His grandpa died and his grandma, who was in poor health, went to a nursing home. His parents got a divorce and his father died soon after that from cancer. He had Hayden, an unsuspected murderer, many times over, entered the Navy and as, as a below deck cook. Oh my God! It was <laughs> just like your oh, just like your cousin. Shut up. He liked the seaman. Shut up. It was his last chance at finding a career, but his shipmates didn't understand a sailor who often wore ladies' underwear under his uniform. So, of course, there was hazing. Once he was locked in a meat freezer for three hours. He likes the meat. Yeah, and the Navy tried to move him to different ships, but there were the same incidents. After he received one more beating where he suffered a concussion from his head being banged against an aircraft carrier deck, he was given a medical discharge and diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. That's when he showed up at his brother's doorstep, which resulted in the killing of Michelle with the police believing that her dad and not Hayden had done the crime. So. All right, we're done, right? Yeah, I'm All done for right. now. Remember, boys and girls, because we got to wrap this up. We have a call in. Remember, boys and girls, that you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you happen to be getting your blogs, lock on, lock on, Jesus fucking Christ, log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Interact with us. And that way there, it's just, it's all fun and games. It's all fun and games. It's all time somebody pees on your leg and puts your eye out. 
or you have a neighbor like Cheryl. This or Jen Doll wants to skin you just a little bit. Jen Doll's a freaking <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's She'll never live that down. She's a freaking nut hut. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. If you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying. Thieving bastards. bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.